Well, hello everybody and welcome to another episode of the New Ground Life and Leadership podcast. Today, I'm really excited to be joined by George Eaton, Becky Lambert and Rachel Mumford, uh, who are three women involved in church plants and in churches in France, part of the New Frontiers family of churches. Um, And we're going to be talking about cross-cultural Christianity, church planting and life in France. Um, So welcome, ladies. Great to have you with us. Hello. Thank you. (laughs) i appreciate whoever said bonjour there just to make sure it's authentically um, french so feel free to dip in and out of french i'm sure uh, our french (laughs) listeners would appreciate that um without any need for translation um now um you're all in different parts of france and have arrived in the, the journey of being involved in, in church and church planting in France in different ways. And we'll come on to some of the, the backgrounds and some of the challenges that you've experienced along the way in a moment. Before we do, I'd love to, you know, in light of the year we've had and all of the challenges you've faced individually, I'd love to just get some insight from yourselves into how you, how do you stay motivated for God in a church plant situation? And particularly, you might say, in the light of COVID and everything like that. So um, who wants to kick things off for us? Uh, as we get cracking with that. Well, Rachel, I tell you what, we're going to pick on you because you reached out and said, um, uh, we, let's, let's record a conversation about French Christianity and church planting in France. So thank you for that. But Rachel, why don't you uh, kick us off with an answer to that question? You know what? I think it, it's God's project. He's, he's bringing salvation and hope to, to people. And so we're actually participating in something and it's not on us as a weight. It, it's not a heavy thing. And it's exciting. And yeah, there are times where we're really frustrating because we feel that perhaps we're not seeing um, the fruit so as, as quickly as we might want to. But actually, we just keep sowing. We just keep um, being faithful with each step. And uh, yeah, I don't know. It's not it's not complicated and just being faithful in every day, one day at a time, is it? So we can, we can do that. Yeah. <laughs> well, George, you, you moved out to plant a church with... Roger, your husband in Lille, eight years ago, I think um, Roger was saying. Um, and one of the things you commented in in our emails together was that you said how slow, with lots of Ws, um, how slow you found church planting, which I guess brings with it some challenges um, of the pace. And so how have you managed? What are some things that you do for yourself um, just to keep your your spiritual temperature up? Yeah, good. I I think I think to say first that sometimes I don't always have a high spiritual temperature and that has to be really real and be really on it. I have to be really honest about that because sometimes the slow can feel really hard. And and that needs you kind of have to get to a place where you're okay with that and know that you know like Joseph in prison, you think about really how long he was there. And just being faithful with the little that you've been given. And I think as a family, as a mother, focusing on my kids and the discipling them and just saying to God, God, if you're going to do something, do it through the kids if it's not through me. Um, um, I think as well, just really communicating as a couple and as um, a family, really involving our children. Sometimes we had a really slow sort of a hard moment at the beginning of this year 
when we just cried out to God, what are we meant to be here still in Neil? Like, really, Lord? Um, and we came down to, yes, we are, but we really involved the kids. Like, do you like being here? You know, and they were eight and six, you know, as much as they can answer that. But questions like, do you like living in Lille? Would you like to live near your cousins? And the answer was yes and yes. And, and really praying together, well, actually, where is it that we're meant to be? We're meant to be in Leeds, we're meant to be in Lille. Um, and, and just communicating as a family. Mm. And even in your answer there, you touched on many of the challenges of church planting and particularly cross-cultural church planting, the sacrifices that people have to make to do that and the questions that honest heartfelt questions you need to ask yourselves about the, the recognizing the count the cost that you're having to count um well let's let's come back a bit then to the beginning of how some of you um each of you i guess made your journeys to france to um three you're all three english women who are now living in france involved in church plants i'd love to hear a bit about how you each came to be there with the different journeys that you've had and um, Becky I know you're out in Paris I think you said you you moved to France as an au pair and never left Um, so why don't you tell us your journey of how you came to be in France? Um, So uh, yeah I uh, don't I didn't really have a very spiritual leading to France I ended up here and then made my life here I dropped out of university in the UK and then came to be an au pair um, and then ended up studying here and then met my husband Nathan and then and we and he felt called to France but I think you know living in a big city has like plenty of challenges like I, I think a lot of challenges that I might go through would be similar to living in any big city and then of course you add the uh, the the language barrier that you can have the cultural barrier. Mm. What about you Rachel or George how what's your journey and how is it different or similar to Becky's? Um, yeah so I really felt God shape me for France from in my teens onwards. Um, I did a frontier project when I was 18, which then took me and I was working in the church in Camper in Brittany for a while, which was, was really, really good. That gave me a taste of things. My husband, John, is culturally French. He's grown up there. And then it was just a no-brainer that we were going to go to France because it felt like our calling for John, it was just going home. Uh, so we arrived in France in 2010 and yeah we didn't have a church to go to we had a, a local church we were like we'd love to stay in in touch with the, the new tiers network and you know as soon as anybody wants to plant we're here we're waiting but we just got stuck into a local church and we're like we're just gonna bless them be them and build community so and um and we've not really stopped there so in two, 2013, the church plant happened and uh, we were um, able to participate and help start things up and be involved right from the beginning, which has been a wonderful blessing. That's wonderful. Um, and, and George, how did, how did you and Roger decide not only to go to France, but the particular part of France that you've gone to? Yeah. Um, so when I uh, started going out of Roger at university, um it was kind of a make or break deal really it was like on one day I'm going to go to France or a French-speaking nation if that's okay with you we can keep dating and if it's not see you later <laughs> <laughs> so um, um I think amazingly God has given me uh, not to big myself up but it has given me an adventurous heart um I've lived in a, in a, in the USA and and we always came to France on holiday so I was a bit like well you're hot and I want to follow you uh, and the Lord so I'll do both of those things at the same time um so we 
well, after we got married, we I started to learn French and we started to kind of do a bit of a tour of what churches were already happening in France that were already that were in New Frontiers. And just really waiting for kind of the lightning bolt moment. I think you always think you're going to have when you're going to be sent to a nation. And it never came. <laughs> and there were various places we would have loved to have been in Lyon with Rachel and John. We'd have loved to have been in Paris with Becky and Nathan. And we'd love to have been in Rennes with our other friends. And we just never felt the peace of, um, from God that that was where we were meant to be. And um, it coming to Lille actually came off a prophetic word that word that Mike Betts had about the, um, the Eurostar and he and a team Mike and a team came out to visit and were reporting back and and that was really when the Holy Spirit kind of spoke to Roger about us coming um, and so we we came and visited and Roger quit his job and moved here was living in a hotel for two weeks got a job and um, had an interview on a Thursday, started, um, signed the contract on the Friday, started on the Monday. And so it was like, okay, God, I think you want us in, in Lille. Um, so yeah, we moved to Lille eight years ago. Wow. And I'm, I'm looking yeah. forward to talking about um, what the, the kind of experiences you, you've had as, of learning the language and how your friendship developed. But um, before we get there, which of you is able to help us understand um the French attitude and approach to Christianity as it might be different from England and some of the unique or particular challenges that uh, evangelical Christians face in France. Go on, Becky. <laughs> um, the, France has a very Catholic background. Um, there are a lot of Catholics, a lot of Catholic churches and a lot of uh, children who go to Catholic catechisme uh, where they learn, learn things even if their parents don't aren't practicing at all um, and uh, the uh, Protestant movement went through a lot of persecution in the past um, and many Protestants fled the country or were hiding in in the mountains in the south and and all sorts of things like that which mean that that there just aren't many evangelicals um, if you if you ask people in our churches uh, across France in the in in the new ground churches but I guess in any evangelical church um, many people will travel 40 minutes to get to a local evangelical church that would be really normal um so we're quite rare we're quite uh, sometimes people are a bit um nervous about evangelicals because they kind of mix up evangelical and evangelist and for french evangelist means american evangelist and I, there's all sorts of uh, kind of misunderstandings and even the um the setup, uh, the kind of legal setup for evangelicals wasn't very well structured until I guess about uh, 10, 15 years ago. I don't know when the CNEF was started, which is kind of an equivalent to the Evangelical Alliance. Until then, a lot of evangelical churches were considered as, as cults or sects because they weren't part of a specific uh, movement because the Protestant movements uh, that there were, some of them would reje reject you if you were charismatic or if you were evangelical or uh, so it was it was a bit uh tricky but um also um i'm uh it's it's actually also a really interesting time at the moment because i think that in a country that was very christian um like had a christian everyone was kind of forced into religion that rejected it completely so that now 
very many people wouldn't know what you're talking about if you talk about Noah's Ark. So now, now people know nothing. And so then there's kind of this, this availability, this openness to hearing about Christianity, to hearing about what, well, what are you? You're not Catholic, so what are you? What is there out there? And actually there are today 10 times more evangelical churches than there were in 1950, with a new church being planted every week. Um, and, and so that, that is just uh, really encouraging. Wow, that is really encouraging. I'd love to just get your reflections on, or any of you really, your reflections on um, how it feels to be aware that people people feel treat you and feel suspicious towards you because they don't know much about you um, or evangelical Christianity. And uh, if they do, they might still consider it to be a cult. Uh, for many of us, you know, it's not a particular persecution or challenge that we have to face but um any of you have any comments on on that kind of feeling like you don't really fit and yet kind of trying to build relationships but knowing that they're going to potentially treat you with a bit of suspicion and and how you handle that process that any comments on that yeah i can comment um i i think it might be more interesting to ask an actual French person that because I, I think personally um, I play a little bit on my Britishness. <laughs> British, you know, I'm a bit weird already. So let's just add Christianity to that. And um, which maybe is not the answer you're looking for, Jez. But um, but um, I, I think in a way being uh, foreign essentially is, is helpful um, already when you open in conversation. Uh, I think, um, as Becky has already touched upon, there is a kind of, oh, well, you're not Catholic. There is a kind of uh, wondering, well, what are you then, you know? And that opens up conversation and and I think um, opens up kind of questioning. Well, I don't understand what that means. And, and, and people are willing to talk about, uh, you know, if you get to know people, people are willing to talk about it. Um, so I suppose as as being a non-French person and a, and a Christian, the, the two kind of go, you're already kind of seen a bit suspiciously. Um, we all live in cities, you know, we all, I mean, Rachel's probably more in the country than than um, Becky and I, but we're in quite cosmo cosmopolitan cities that are very international. Um, so that that's helpful. Um, there's lots of people students there's lots of lots of things happening and cultural events so that all of those things kind of add to what what's going on in France already and add to openness I suppose um yeah yeah so I um our living context is a bit different in that my husband and I live in a village which is about 20 minutes from the city and uh, we've been there for about nine years and I think actually Part of the way that it's now easy to share so openly and easily is the fact that people know us and trust us. And we actually have a reputation in the village that oh, for, for who we are, for, for being people that can be counted upon and just, you know, members of the community. So when we talk, it's not like, where have they come from? These are weird. No, no, this is, this is John, who's president of the school canteen and Rachel, who's on the council, you know. So we're not, yeah it's not just uh, who is this person and why are they saying it they've seen how we lived our lives and I think that that has been a really key thing and the mission field I, so I really see our village as a mission field it's like the the, um, the earth itself is harder 
like it's had it's not had rain for longer so it's harder so in order to prepare for sowing we've had to work the land harder to break up the ground ready to receive seed and so we've spent a long time relationships and and you can still scatter seeds of, of truth and share who you are oh yeah we were at church on sunday and oh yeah and we've we've had so many opportunities to pray for for people but it's um it, we feel like we're actually coming into a new season now there is this this greater openness people have just gone through a collective trauma with with covid and the pandemic and they're more open to having these really discussions or you know what is the point of life you know why have we got suffering and suddenly we're like we want to talk about this and we can share it but because they know who we are we can come from um yeah a place of experience as well where they've seen us w- work it out so i've had so many conversations where with people that have been brought up in a catholic setting or, or nothing and i've talked about the bible as being god's word and i've said god doesn't need me to tell you this i'm not going to tell you what to think have a bible and read it and ask god to speak to you you know pray to god if you want to know if he's real or not ask him to show himself to you he's bigger he doesn't need me you know he, he could use me but he doesn't have to because then i think there's a real fear of being manipulated and drawn into some kind of institution so so to be able to say well god's big enough to do it himself but he likes to use um people is a really great thing i, I think for me um there's a, a real just importance of like remembering how weak i am well that's not easy to forget but like it's like i'm weak and god is strong and and like you say like we we're not converting anyone it's the holy spirit who does that and all we can do is play our part and if he if god wants us to to have this like crazy humongous role where like thousands of people come and listen and become Christians every day for a month and then it exponentially rises like great we're totally up for that but that's not always how he does it (laughs) that's not what we've seen throughout history we see people being faithful and we see God being faithful and I think uh, a lot of it as well is about clinging to the promises as well like um we have just story after story of how god has provided for us of how god called us to move from the suburbs into the center of paris how he gave us an apartment that like we did not earn enough money to move into this flat no one should have let us rent this flat um and yet we were able to move here and then he called us to plant a church which if we lived in the suburbs it would have been so much more difficult and it felt just everything was really kind of felt really god ordained and like just remembering god's promises and remembering god's faithfulness and trusting in that and then then it's his kingdom and you know he'll do it we listen we follow we step out you know it's also kind of following when he speaks clearly and then following when it's just like well what does god ask of us you know what has god called us all to do and it's being jesus wherever we are so it's yeah just being in his word surrounded by people and like our friendship with George and and Rachel has really been really uh, like helpful for when maybe there are times where we're less surrounded by Christians um, and by people in similar life situations to us where you can really identify with each other and lead each other on and uh, kind of you know um um, uh, it's um, so sharpening each other like yeah just um, it's it, yeah clinging to promises God's God's faithful God's big and we're little and we do what he asks yeah and I think that 
There is that challenge in the, in the Christian gospel, isn't there? And on the one hand, we're arriving with a message that we really want to share with people. But on the other hand, the message is often so closely bound up with our lives and our lifestyles in that the people wait for us to try to embed ourselves into their lives so that they can see the gospel lived out. Rachel, I mean, from what we shared, what you shared earlier about um, how you came to be in France, you you had a clear burden for the French people, it seems. And so I'd just be really interested to, to hear how you approached, I mean, almost what we'd call missional living, the way that you've embedded yourself in the community. How did you, when you arrived in France, day one, day two, what, did, what was your mindset like in terms of, I'm here to try to reach the French and this is what I did. Um, what does that look like? Right, so we arrived in, in 2010 and we, we um, moved into a rental house in one village. And I thought, great, we're here. I'll do what I did at home because uh, my kids were one and three, the two that I had had at that point. I'll go to like nursery playgroups and I'll go to school and I'll be at the school gate and I'll be everybody's friend and I'll just be open and that'll work very quickly. I'll have a little circle of friends and we'll go for coffee and I'll, I'll join one of the stay-at-home mums little networks. And it didn't work <laughs> because my cultural expectations were wrong uh, and I didn't understand the whole structure of French society is not the same and in France often people take a really short maternity leave and they go back to work so you actually don't have the, the stay-at-home mums in the same way so I had to adjust my expectations and I had to think what is my way into the community it's not school here Oh, it's not school right now. Um, and we tried um, volunteering for various different things in, in that village. And I was consistent about saying hello to everyone. I remember one of our big um, things that we thought we'd do after our first year is we would invite every child in my son's class. Now there were like 25 kids. We we're gonna invite them with the parents into our garden to do a, a celebration for his birthday. And we did this and we did like, cream tea for everyone and loads of British things and everyone loved it and I thought oh I'm going to have lots of friends out of this and I didn't and then they mixed up all the classes <laughs> and he wasn't with any of the same kids there you go uh, but when we moved into our, our next village when we bought a house I thought how am I going to be intentional about uh, finding my way into the community and for me it was to start off with it was being in the park after school and it was joining the Parent Teachers Association. And I remember very clearly when George and Becky, their, their kids started school, I really pushed you to know. I was like, so if you can sign up to something, some kind of club where you're serving, because it's your way in, you want a way in to, to have conversations and people to see you and get to know you. And then it leads on to other relationships and you just need to break into one other person's little network. And they'll be like, oh, that person's okay. She's really nice, you know, let's invite her as well. So. And then I, I'm now on the, I've been seven years on the village council uh, and able to really shape our community and make it, um, I'm in charge of like village events and the youth council and various other things, but um, to be able to be there as a welcomer and say, no, we're actually changing the culture of the village and making it a more embracing place and seeing the new people and saying hello. And I really wanted to, to bring that to our village and it's, it's working. We noticed um, with our putting our children into the local school um, that it wasn't until we put our second child in that we started to make friends. Uh, and that was it was really obvious. You know? 
when you think when you move somewhere in the UK, I I I think people we're a bit more open as people. We're a bit more easier to say hello, how you doing? Want to come for coffee? Um, things like that. Whereas in France, I, I feel like because perhaps as well we were coming in as British people into this local French school, they the the people the parents were waiting to see if we were going to stay. Uh, and waiting to see if we really were invested. So even though I joined the the parents group, fun group, you know, organised all their fun fets and stuff, um, it was still waiting. And, and we would have people, we would pray um, in the morning, like we're going to break, I'm not going to say what the nickname that we called this one particular guy, but we were like, we're going to break and we're going to make him smile today. And every day we'd go in with this kind of attitude, I'm going to make this guy smile. And after three years, we actually became friends. Um, and it, it just takes time to crack, uh, to break into friendships, to break into people's lives um, here. Because I think they're perhaps waiting to see if you're going to stay. Are you worth the time? But also around us, certainly lots of people, they, they lived here, they grew up here. You kind of don't have space in their lives for more people unless they know you're really going to stay. So um it take it that it takes time uh, and perseverance. Uh, how did yourself or either of uh, the others? How do you live with that um, the kind of the missionary complex where you you feel like I've come to try to reach and serve and save French people, and then the reality that like you like you're alluding to actually it takes a long time to to not just kind of be on the outside of a community, but get into it, and and yet all the while living with this pressure of I feel not maybe you don't feel this. I feel the need to see people saved and yet that's not in my hands. How do you, how, what are some ways that you have learned to, to not be crushed by the pressure to see salvation, but also kind of balance that with the, the right desire to share the gospel where you can? What are some comments on that? I find it really important to, for me, like a key verse is, is where in the gospels it talks about us being salt and light. And that for me, I want to be salt and I want to flavour everywhere I go. And it, you, sometimes... When you eat a meal at somebody's house, you're like, oh, they put too much salt in this, it's really salty or really bland. It needs a bit of salt. And I want to be the difference of, you know, if, if Rachel was here, they're, they're, it would be different. I'd change a dynamic because I'm bringing the kingdom with me when I'm there. And when I'm in a situation, the way that I speak shines a light. Uh, and so your, your testimony, whether, whether you are explicit in what you say, or whether it is just your general way that you're carrying yourself that speaks of God and you're carrying his presence with you, you are being salt and light in that situation. And if God tells you to say something, you say it. But, you know, you don't have to force it. It's, it's got to come from a, a relationship. It's got to be natural, hasn't it? It's not, we're not like, it's not like a job where you have to hit a quota. <laughs> God's just asking us to, to follow him and to focus on character and not gifting uh, because he wants to refine us as we go. And this is not just about who we, who we reach. It's about what he does in us as we're doing it. Wow. That's really inspiring. Um, uh, uh, Maybe this is a strange question, but it's in my mind. So I'll ask it anyway. I don't know if any of you would have comments on this. Where, where do you find your contentment in a lot of this? How do you remain contented in that position i guess where's your joy come from i suppose we're not allowed to answer chocolate right no you're allowed to answer chocolate of course if, if that's the answer to everything 
Well, then we've got cheese and we've got baguette and we've got, you know, French wine. <laughs> I, I think I, I'll come I'll come before Becky talks more about chocolate. Um, I, I think I'm in the same place as you, Jez. <laughs> you know, living in another country, I don't, God doesn't change. Um, I think for me, and this might seem like a holy answer. And, and, you know, if you're really struggling with knowing where you're, if you're supposed to be where you are right now, this might not help, but, but really just knowing God's call that I'm supposed to be here. Um, and, and just being happy with what I've got. Um, uh, I don't know if I've said that very well, but I suppose what I mean is, the slowness and the smallness of our church, it could be very easy to go, what, do you know what, forget it, I'm going to go home, I'm going to go back to the UK. But there's just an unease in my spirit that that would be the wrong thing for me right now. Maybe that will ha- will be the case. Maybe this church barn isn't going to take off. But right now, when I come to God and I say, God, and I'm honest and I say, God, are you really, is this where I'm meant to be? There, there's this peace that comes to me. Um, that can only describe as his spirit saying you're where I want you to be just be faithful as Becky and Rachel both said just be faithful with what you've got I mean and also to add France is amazing like I love living here I genuinely love living here um there there are moments when I think oh gosh I could really do without this administration right now but um I love living in France. I love the culture. There are some amazing ways that people get together uh, that we don't do in the UK that I think are genius ways of spreading the gospel and being together and inviting your neighbours. And um, I, I, I love living in this nation. Um, I don't love everything about it, um, but I love living here. Um, Angela Kem once said to me that when you move nations, so imagine that you can imagine that everybody in the UK is a square and everybody in France is a circle. And when you move nations, you're no longer a square, but it, you're not a circle either. You kind of become your own shape. And, and I thought, you know, so prof- it's quite profound, actually. And it's so true now when I, I think, well, I'm not fully British, but I'll never be fully French. I just need to be satisfied with the shape that I am and and enjoy enjoy that. And, and you know, like I said, yes, I'm British and I'm a bit nuts, but I'm also not totally British. And I love aperitif and inviting my neighbours around for not a dinner and snacks. <laughs> so true. I think what um what George says like um uh it just yeah it's re- it's something like being a not neither a square nor a circle like it's definitely something that uh resounds with me like yeah my whole adult life I've been in France so um yeah we even felt we, we went to sick up for nine months and we felt um lost with like how do you do life here how do you set life up but I think um I think contentment is is found in God and if as Christians we're not finding our contentment in God well that should be our first priority to sort out before we're thinking about about mission and about you know gifting or doing things like it's like is your contentment in God and it doesn't mean that it's always like plain sailing contentment in God you know that should that's the struggle that we all all go through but I think this whole kind of uh, what what being like a non-square non-circle has really taught me is like we need to have an eternal perspective yes because our time on earth is short and actually 
this is not home. England's not home, France isn't home, there's nowhere on earth that's home. And actually we were made in the image of God and we were made to be in his presence and we were made for eternity with him. And one day we are gonna live in a new heaven, a new earth that's gonna, that we're gonna live in where we're gonna be in, in relationship with God and we're gonna be worshiping him. And that is where we're gonna find ultimate contentment. I don't, contentment feels like the wrong word. That's too neutral, like ultimate, awesome and um and so so we should be discontent here um because but it should remind us that our identity is in god and that uh that we have another home and that's the home that we're calling people to in mission and until then we're ambassadors we're ambassadors there so uh, of um, of that place wherever god send us and you think about and there are embassies for um, for england all around the world and they represent England and other nations. And we are like little um, embassies in, in different places where we, we represent kingdom culture and we bring in a uh, different flavor. We even, yeah, yeah. It's, being an ambassador for Christ is very much like carrying the culture and representing the nation of heaven. <laughs> that's a lovely idea. Absolutely. Yeah. Really important for us to get to hold on to ambassadors. And that's actually then helpful in answering a lot of other questions about um, how do we define our success and effectiveness where we are. We well, think in the same way an ambassador would with uh, someone who's representing an embassy in, in the country that they're in. Um, now, one of the things that you um, all put in the emails, we've had discussions pre this conversation about your experience in France, was you mentioned loneliness as being quite um, a, a key experience or a, a core experience of your time there and the how much of a gift it seems your friendship with one another has been. So I'd love to just tease out some of that and hear both what's behind some of that comment about loneliness and then even the remarkable story of how the three of you came to meet in the first place. Yeah, okay, so um, God bless WhatsApp, huh? We have a little group between the three of us <laughs> and it's been a lifeline. Um, obviously, WhatsApp is, is a more recent phenomenon. Uh, John and I met uh, Roger and George uh, in England when we were doing some training we were actually encouraged to get to know each other because we had a heart for France and we've stayed in touch uh, yeah so but when we first came to, to France it was 2010 didn't know anybody John, John's parents lived a couple of hours away but we had to start from scratch and as I said um, earlier on my, my strategies for breaking into French community did not work uh, and I had to just get on with being by myself with two very small children. And whether you're whether you're at home on maternity leave with your small children, or you know just being a stay-at-home mum, uh, and you're in a new place, or whether you're in a different country, it makes no difference. If you don't have a network, you can just feel so by yourself, so overwhelmed, and so ready for bedtime every night. Uh, my husband was away a lot as well, and I, I really had to wrestle with that and go through it and. And, and just, just go through every day at a time, but it really refined for me what was important. Um, yeah, and that, and that friendship is so key into edifying each other and lifting each other up and being encouraged when you're feeling weak. And when you are lonely, the, un, the other thing that can happen is that you can put a lot of your needs being met onto your spouse. Uh, it's so unhealthy. And you need to be reminded that actually you first look for God. And it's really helpful as well to, to just have 
certain needs met in friendship elsewhere because it's a lot of pressure on one person and they shouldn't actually um, become an idol in your life. So it's really healthy for your marriage to have good friendship. And our friendship has been such a source of encouragement to be able to just connect in with each other. How are you finding this? What's your experience on this? When the kids go back to school, what does this letter mean? What? And to, to help each other sort of navigate French life because there is, there's a lot that's different when you come with your English, your British expectations and you're putting that onto French culture. And what, what are the, the, the traps to sidestep really that, of mistakes that can be made? So yeah, it's been fabulous. I think to great. Uh, thanks, Rachel. I think to come back to just the the loneliness of what that can mean on a daily basis. Um, for me, um, of the three of us, my French is the weakest. Um, I probably always will be, but um, but um, just doing your life in a second language. Uh, when we first arrived, I I had to lean on Roger to do pretty much everything. I still ask him to make phone calls because I hate doing that in French. But, but I, it, it's that that itself alone is a very lonely place to be because um, going to the doctor, going to the bank, going to the bakery, I had to have. I had a baby. Uh, I was thankful that I'd had one before and I knew what was happening. But all this vocabulary, you don't learn it in GCSE French, how to have a baby in France. Um, so, so all of this vocabulary, you know, it, it's a very lonely place to be. And you're kind of in your head, kind of a bit lost a lot of the time because you're you're thinking, I think I know what you're saying. I'm not quite sure. And then you're looking at words. And I would say even in church that that can that can happen to you listening to the preach and you're thinking pretty sure I know what you're saying and I'm trusting that it's all good because you're preaching from the Bible but there's some words I'm not really sure and so like you know there's that feeding coming from a, a, a big church in Canterbury where you're fed these amazing preachers and then you're then hearing it in a second language in probably a small in a smaller church there is a kind of oh this is this is foreign. This is this is really hard and really lonely. And am I the only one? You're looking around. Am I the only one feeling a bit lost here? Um, so that and being able to then message Rachel like, I've got to go to hospital. What's the word for? Da, 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 you know, or what do I say to um, the GP when my son's got chickenpox or something? You know, what is chickenpox in French? I don't even know. Uh, so th this kind of thing is it, it's really can you feel very very alone. Mm -hmm. And very isolating, I imagine, as well, to feel so cut off, like to be in that space. I imagine the temptation to just withdraw further and further must be quite real mm. to kind of find mm. yourself spiralling. You know, so though, so though you yeah. said, you know, the, the challenge for contentment's the same in the UK as it is in France. Actually, there's a lot of particular challenges of being a an immigrant essentially in a second culture yeah. and i guess it, it helps it helps us as brits understand what the foreign experience is for people in our towns and our cities would you say oh, i think also you have to be prepared to be humiliated on a regular basis because you're going to get things wrong and it keeps you humble it keeps you humble because you're always on the back foot because you know that the people around you are always going to catch on quicker they're going to laugh at the jokes first perhaps and they're going to yeah, they, they're just going to be more confident because they don't have to do it in a second language. So, and as much as with time, my second language is, is catching up with my first language, 
English is still the language of my heart. It's still the language that I do things first in. Um, so yeah, it definitely keeps you humble, humble crumble. So. <laughs> I think there's also like the aspect of um, moving away from family. Um, I found myself even struggling with jealousy sometimes because there are other people say, I think particularly when you've had kids, um, other people who might go away for a weekend then they drop their kids off with the grandparents and then they go off and or there's an event or like they want to sign up to do the academy and it's like well we'll drop the kids off with the grandparents and there's no dropping off with grandparents when it costs at least 300 euros to get you all there um and um and it's it's uh yeah that can be that can add to the kind of the the loneliness um and uh and i mean i think it also grows your resilience you know as you as you face it and again it's you know it's holding to holding to god's goodness and god's promises um and i know that i took it, it took a long time for me to make friends here because I, I had similar expectations to rachel um and i thought you know oh toddler groups there was no toddler group uh there, but there was one place where you could go and children could play in a very very small room with some health professionals um and before we went to sid cup for the year i, I was saying god like am i going to want to come back because I'm I'm going with a, a toddler and a newborn and there's going to be toddler groups, there's going to be other stay-at-home mums, there's going to be people who who I get on with and who like who speak the same language as me. And um and I prayed and I was like, God, like please can you help me want to come back? And and, and like I didn't not want to come back. I was just afraid that I was gonna love it so much that I wasn't gonna want to come back. And um that week I went to this like small room with that I've been going to for like a year and I got I got a number <laughs> um, a mum like was friendly and was seemed like she was okay with the idea of making new friends uh, and uh, and she gave me her number and she invited me to a barbecue with five other mums with young children and I was like god thank you like he provided before I went so that I had something to hold on to um for for when I was coming back so um yeah again it's like perseverance and resilience but also god god providing um mm. yeah do you see a lot of those instances of God's kindness? I imagine for those who've made great sacrifices, often I've been interested to see how God seems to pepper their life with a lot of graces and kindnesses that we're, that you're a lot more able to see because of what you've sacrificed for. Have you, has any, anybody else got comment on that or stories that come to mind? Uh, well, gosh, yeah, lots, I suppose. Um I mean, we were able to buy our house here. I think we never would have bought this same house in Canterbury. <laughs> Um, we couldn't would have been able to afford it. Um, I think seeing my kids grow up bilingually is is just amazing. It's it's beautiful. Um, they my daughter's best friend Lou, she has been her best friend since the first year, and their family have really welcomed us. And they're not like us at all. Um, they're sort of these blue collar gorgeous people who would just kind of get their family together every weekend and sometimes it's their whole family and us the Brits you know in their living room and I think wow what a that is an amazing blessing and we're still friends with them after eight years they still like us so that's nice and um yeah I mean 
just the international culture here in Lille, I feel is a massive blessing to me. I mean, I grew up in Norfolk and then I moved to Canterbury. Um, so uh, just being surrounded by so many different people and diff different um, ethnicities and uh, is, is a huge grace on my life and has made me a bigger person, I suppose. And um, I just I just like living here, Jez, just like France. And I think, you know, God bless the Internet, you know, because my mum lived in the Seychelles when she was my age. And she told me that it took four months to receive a letter, you know, and I can you imagine that loneliness, you know. Um, so I think, well, I can just pop a text to Rachel and Becky and be like, how do I fill in this form, you know, or whose whose child has had this happen to them at school and is that because they're British or not <laughs> um so it is amazing um I, th I think what's happened things is is an amazing blessing really for for us and France is a big country we live a long way away to get to travel to Rachel's house is like 10 hours <laughs> in wow. the car so um yeah so yeah maybe. and I'm getting a sense that you really have to prioritize good relationships mm. like this to help you stay healthy as a Christian with the shared experiences that you've got. Uh, I'm getting a real sense of this, the, the, the missional living that you're all pursuing, the, uh, the approach to incarnate incarnational Christianity, the need for, for faith and contentment in what God's called you to do. Um, has Brexit made a, uh, made a difference in your experience um, to the way people think about you treat you the the conversation and the attitudes towards the english um i know that's a potentially contentious topic but uh, let's crack it open <laughs> who wants to go there gosh oh it's a tr tricky one isn't it because i'm imagining some people will be listening to this voted for brexit and we all live out of britain so we probably didn't <laughs> okay well, you know, I could say well, it really sucks, Jez, actually. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's made life harder, personally, for us. Although, I think if we go down the conversational route, it obviously opens up conversations um, with people at school. And um, anything that like that that happens does open up conversation. You know, football happened yesterday. Um that opens up conversation with your French friends, you know, all these things you can bring it around to, well, why are you here? You know, and well, I'm here because I, I love Jesus and I'm here with my church, you know? So yeah, it, I'm going to go positive and go, yes. Okay. It'll open up conversations. Do you not find that people feel sorry for you? I, I find I, some people go, oh, I'm really, I'm so sorry. You know, what were they thinking? And I'm like, I know. <laughs> It really has this impact. Well, I, I, I've been naturalised, so we we actually just function like French a French family now. So we're kind of removed from the the big uh, paperwork pile of Brexit, which is basically French love administration, and they like to add paperwork, and that's been a bit more complicated. But we've been able to put that to one side and sort of sidestep that thing. But I know for a lot of people, it's been a challenge and a worry. And you think about your your security in in the future. Can we stay here? God's got it all in hands. Yeah. We just uh, we won't worry about it. It's just details, isn't it? <laughs> and Becky, how about you? Mm. I'm not sure if anyone. I'm not sure how it's affected French people's view of the Brits. Like, I think it maybe made them think, like, "What are you doing?" You know, but um, but I don't. I don't feel like 
we're judged as a as a people group um um yeah it had some practical implications like we just lived here because we lived here whereas now you need a card to say you're allowed to live here and it kicked us in the butt for doing our process of naturalization to become french um and uh and that also again like george says it's a it's a conversation starter um you know oh so you, so you, here is your home and uh and you know that that does um add to the conversation um yeah it, it <laughs> our kids though decided that in the football they did not want england to win they wanted them to get to the final to make the grandparents happy and then to lose to teach the brits a lesson about brexit <laughs> Wow. So your kids are the ones to blame, are they? Becky Lambert's kids, if anyone listening, is the reason that we didn't win. Sorry, guys. Wow. Brexit to football. It's just like... <laughs> I know. How about that? Uh, in the UK, it seems that a lot of the, the, the English press report on a growing nationalism in France. Has that is that true or what kind of impact has that had on you? Um, the uh, getting into public office of more right wing parties. Um, have you noticed a change in the political landscape or the cultural landscape while you've been there in that regard? And uh, has that affected the way people treat you as foreigners? There's a polarisation of views a little bit more. But um, I don't know. I don't, know. I don't I think people are... Yeah, leaning more more towards black and whites. The left is very left and the right is more and more right wing. I feel like it's happening in every nation, don't you think? Uh, I don't know if France is special. Rachel is actually very involved in her local government. So she's actually not bigged herself up as much as she should because she, Rachel said, oh, I'm involved in my village. She's really involved. I mean, Rachel is... Well, I, I honour this woman because she really moved France and, and really went for it in her town. Not only being friends with people, but actually get involved in, in local government. And um, that's phenomenal. Um, so, Rachel, what, really well done. Maybe, maybe you, you know, did, do you don't feel anything different after Brexit or in the last few years with Okay. Um, in, in our village, we have about 30% of the population that were likely to vote for the Front National. So for the, oh no, it's National Rally now, isn't it? They've changed their title to rebrand to appeal to the youngsters. Um, so yeah, and that tends to be people that are afraid of change. And you have to recognise it for what it is. They're, they're afraid. And these are, these are the... These are the Often the very white uh, grandparents who've always lived in a little family farm and their, their family have lived in a, like a five kilometre radius of their house. And, you know, the generation before they might not have owned a car. And so, so we'll have those people and they're just like, what are you what are you doing? There's there's so much change. I can't understand it. And, and then we have the rest of the village who have travelled and worked in the city and, and lived in different countries. And they're, of course, much more left leaning and a lot more mixed in, in their views. And there's so many parties you can vote for. I mean, we just we just had the elections a few a few weeks ago when I was at the polling station and I, on one desk, there was 11 different options, I think, for parties that you could vote for. Uh, and, then, and then you go for a second round in France and then you just have to choose between the two. And so it was, yeah, there's a whole spectrum 
But in our village, uh, we I, I'm on the, the village council, there's 19 of us, and we are non-political. And it is just the concerns of the village, and we're there for the good of the village. And we represent a spectrum. I don't even know what most of the other members of the, the village would vote at all. Um, I know roughly what the, where the mayor would be because he's aligned with the president. Mm. Oh, and well done for like George commending you. Well done for the way you've you know got so immersed in French culture and and modelling that kind of missionary living. Um, really. Can I just say I really do think as Christians we have a responsibility to be involved in the decision making in our nation, and that means that we have a calling to to explore politics and to be involved and to. Be decision makers, because if you're not around the table, you don't have a voice. So I, I have a very strong voice in, in our village, and we've done a lot to, to shape what happens. It's, it's very small scale, only a little village, oh, there's 2,000 of us. But we get to, I mean, I, I was able to go to the prefecture, which is the, um, how would you, do, how do we? You'll be the county hall. County hall, thank you, and, and vote for the senators. You know, I was representative of our village. You, you see, but we, we get a voice if we want a voice, but you have to have a seat at the table and you have to knock on the door and say, oh, I want to, to speak for my community. So I would, I would love to encourage all of you listening that if you if you are wondering about politics, it's something that is so worthwhile doing. And it, to a certain extent, it doesn't really matter which party it is because you get a seat at the table and you get a voice. And you can carry God, and all the parties need Christians in them. So <laughs> it is just great. Let, let's just shape our nations. You know, let, let's be a spokesperson for our church. Let's let's be that Wonderful. that voice. Amen to that. Um, well, uh, ladies, we're going to be drawing our time together to a close. As we do, um, let's just have some encouragement that you want to, would love to leave our listeners with about your time in France or just a comment on the Christian life in general that's really on your heart to share. Uh, Becky, we'll start with you. I just, I, um, following up on what Rachel said, uh, just kind of, yeah, like speaking like, what requests can I make to those of you who are listening? And I just want to say, listen to God and go where he's calling like whatever we've said today some of it might be scary if you're considering whether God's calling you somewhere you might be like oh those, those things sound hard I don't want to leave I don't want to do something different um I've always just bet born in mind the story of Jonah and I really 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 don't want to finish in the stomach of a big fish and and he doesn't do that often, God, like he really wanted Jonah to do his task, but he does have good things in store for you if you follow what he's asking to you to, whether they're things that you'll see right away or in a long time in the future, but God is worth it. The kingdom is worth it. And mission, like it grows you and sculpts you and changes you and matures you. And like, I'm so much, I'm so different. I've changed so much in the last 10, 15 years. And um, hopefully mainly for good. <laughs> um, and uh, I love what God is doing in our lives. And mission is exciting and fun. And um, so if God's calling you to another nation, another continent, or just or to something near home, like it doesn't have to be far away. We're all on a mission together wherever we are. Um, but listen to him and go for it, even if it's scary, um, because it's also awesome. I would say wherever you are, you're on mission and just keep following that, that pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire like the Israelites in the desert, 
one foot in front of the other, just be obedient and just remember that wherever you are is your current mission field. So yeah, I, I'd actually like to plug um, a website that are, and a collective that our husbands are involved in called Apologia, uh, which is a French collective. Um, and then there's a website, apologia.fr, and it explains um, the Christian faith uh, in French and, there, and, and gives a reasoned faith uh, arguments and looking at various different things like how do you speak to people who are involved in Islam, how do you speak to people who have got a really strong science background, you know, uh, and how do you explain reason, your reasoned faith to children and there's, there's it's really really great they're doing a lot of work um so my husband john uh, becky's husband nathan and there's a whole collective of them uh, in the new new ground churches in france who are working together because there's a lot of material in english that we want to bring to to the french uh, christians to equip them so if you are a french speaker apologia.fr go and have a look i think um I would just like to, I'd like to say that whatever culture you're called to, whether that's a work culture, a, a village, a town, a city, a nation, it takes time to change a culture. Um, so don't put pressure on yourself that you have to do that, but sit back, watch what, where you can have influence and wait for God to push you give you that little nudge that you need to have your influence um, and, and honor the people around you at the same time that is the easiest thing you can do um, in any culture is to honor first your brothers and sisters and then the people around you uh, and that changes culture um, we're all called to do that and that is a really wonderful and simple thing that the Holy Spirit allows us to do. So don't put pressure on yourself, take your time and enjoy the culture you're in and honour those around you. Mm, wonderful. And of course, enjoy look, plenty of healthy French wine and cheese yeah. along the way and chocolate, Becky, lest we forget. Um, <laughs> well, thank you so much for your time to get today. It's been lovely to be together, very inspiring. And I know it's going to be hugely helpful for, for many people listening who are you're just trying to work out how to pursue God in their context, but also, as you, as you alluded to, people who've got a stirring from God for the nations. Um, it's been a real treat to sit with you, and it's, I'm thrilled to hear the story of how you've become friends and, um, and are encouraging one another in France. So God bless you, and thank you very much. Thank you, Jess. Jess.